Let's, uh, let's open our Bibles uh, this morning to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3, uh, covering the first uh, nine verses. And let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for another day that we can gather together as the body of Christ. And Lord, the fellowship that we have because of you that you've made available, Lord, because of your death on the cross. Lord, you've joined us together as the body of Christ. And Lord, you've given us your word, your written word. You've given us uh, all the truths that we need, Lord, for this life. You've given us all the truths that we need to know what's ahead and the hope that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit this morning upon your church. Lord, that you would speak your truth into our hearts, that we'd become grounded and better equipped, Lord, as Christians in this world. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Dangerous Times We Live In. We... As a church, uh, we're living in days, some of you maybe that have come to know Christ early, just not too long out, uh, you know, you maybe have not yet experienced maybe some of the changes that have gone on in the church throughout the years. I've been a Christian for uh, quite a few years, and I've seen changes. And I would say that most of the changes that I've seen transpiring within the church I would put under this title, Dangerous Things. We have a lot that is going on within the church that wants to draw away the church from the core beliefs, the core foundational beliefs. It's what we see the Apostle Paul doing in these two letters to Timothy, really exhorting him to hold on to the truths of the Gospel, to keep that the focus of his ministry. In chapter 1, Paul told Timothy, he says, remain faithful to the faith. Look at verse 13. He says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Holding fast the pattern of sound words. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Paul gave Timothy in this chapter a series of exhortations on faithfulness and perseverance. Verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul's exhortation to Timothy to stay true to the doctrines and the truths of God's Word. In chapter 3, Paul is going to give Timothy a warning. A warning about perilous times and perilous men that are going to be coming in these last days. Paul, in a sense, is looking ahead. He's looking and he's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but he's really given a prophetic view looking forward to what the church needs to be careful of. The church needs to be cautioned of these things. It's a warning that has been coming to the church for 2,000 years. We read in verse 13 of this chapter, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those are the days that we're living in as a church. And as Christians, we need to, in a sense, we need to be good students of the Word of God. We need to know and be grounded in the Word of God so that we ourselves don't get swept away with the various deceptions that are out there. Let's read our text, chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Paul says to Timothy, he says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times 
will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Dangerous days, dangerous times for the church, for each one of us as a Christian. We might divide this chapter into four parts. Each one of these parts starts with the word but. Look at your Bibles. Verse 1, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. In verse 10, and we'll look at that next week, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. I've shared on a number of occasions the importance of transition words that we find in the Bible. One of those transition words is the word but. It's one of these words that when you see it, when you're reading your word and you come to it, it should be a time where you take a moment to pause, that you're going to think about what Paul is about to say in light of what he has just said. It's typically a contrast between what he has just said and what now he's going to say. It can denote a transition from one thought to another. But it's important for us to see those words are very important. We start this morning in chapter 3, verse 1 with the word but. And it's because of what Paul had already said in chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. We finished that a couple weeks ago. Look what it says. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps would grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will dangerous times that we are living in as a church. Paul is going to warn Timothy in this chapter. He's going to warn Timothy, but he's also going to warn the church of his day. He's going to warn the church really of this day that dangerous men in dangerous times are times that we're living in now. Chapter 3, as I said, is a warning. We're going to see that character and truth are at the forefront of this warning. A man or a woman's character, the truths of God's Word, are at the forefront of this warning that perilous times and perilous men are going to come. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, but know this. Other translations read this way. But you must realize this, Timothy. You must understand this. You should be 
constantly knowing this is what Paul is saying. The word used here for knowledge is a knowledge that can be progressive knowledge. It's the Greek word gnosko. And that speaks of a progressive knowledge, something that we're coming to know and learn as a church, as Christians. But it can also be obtained through experience by just looking, just observe. Look what's going on around you. Look at the various churches and the various things that are going on today. We are to be constantly knowing the days that we're in, the times that we're in. Paul is telling Timothy in this verse to make it a continual practice to know that you are in perilous days as a Christian. That these perilous times, they will come. He's telling Timothy not to be ignorant. And I believe that there are a lot of churches and a lot of Christians today that are falling under that ignorance. They're not really aware of what's going on around them. They're not recognizing what's happening. Timothy, you need to be aware. And we also as a church, we need to be aware. It's really hard to mess up a good, biblically sound church. It's hard to mess you up. If you know your Word, you spend time in your Word, you're being taught the Word, it's really hard to mess you up and get you off course. But the problem is there are a lot of churches that are not sticking to the Word of God. And there are many Christians, or many professing Christians even, that think they're saved, that think that they understand what God wants, and they're getting led off into these various false truths and doctrines. That false truth and false doctrine, like we learned a couple of weeks ago, it leads to more ungodliness in a person's life. So the question arises from our text, who is Paul talking about here? Who is Paul speaking of in these verses this morning? And what should Timothy know He's telling Timothy to know. Or we could say, what should we as a church know about what Paul is about to say? Paul goes on in verse 1 telling Timothy what he should know and what we should know. And that's that in the last days, perilous times might come. Is that what your Bible says? Perilous times might come? No, it says perilous times will come. It's it's guaranteed that these perilous times, these dangerous times, we could say, they will come. As we read this verse, I think most of us might sense an urgency in the Apostle Paul's words. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times, there's an urgency to that. You see, this word perilous can also be translated fierce. Uh, These fierce times will come, church. Dangerous times. Hurtful times. Violent times will come. The word perilous can also be translated difficult or difficult or hard times to bear, troublesome times. That's expanding what Paul is saying here about perilous times will come. There's going to be people that are going to be harsh. They're going to be fierce. They're going to be violent. They're going to be dangerous. They're going to be savage people. And if you think that I'm just exaggerating on this, then you're not looking out at your world. You're not even looking at the church. The same word is used in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. It's that time where Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee. And He came to the other side to the the Gergesons. And there He met two demon-possessed men. They came out of their tombs and were told that they were exceedingly fierce. It's the same Greek word that's used in Matthew. It says so that no one could pass by them. 
these two demon-possessed men, they were like wild, vicious, uncontrollable animals. They were demon-possessed. They were completely unpredictable. They were dangerous. I think that Paul is using that same word here because he wants to get Timothy's attention. He wants to get our attention about the times that are coming. That description that Paul gives is speaking of the last days. Maybe a picture of this for us today might be that fierce, violent, dangerous, and savagery of ISIS. How about Boko Haram? How about all the other various groups? You know where that's come, who they're coming up against? Christians, for the most part. Even those that profess to be Christians. The violence that is coming against the church. It's great. Persecution and violence against Christians and against humanity even is growing. Have you noticed? Christian Post had an article in it dated January 6, 2019. This is what it said. Christian persecution expected to increase in 2019. Believers facing modern day jihad. Release International said in a press release that 215 million believers face violence and discrimination for their faith. In Nigeria, the Fulani militants, they look set to continue to devastate Christians in the north and in central Nigeria. In the first six months of 2018 alone, they killed up to 6,000 people and drove 50,000 people from their homes. Most of these are Christians. The Pew Center of an American secular research organization estimates that more than 75% of the world's population lives in areas of rampant religious persecution, mostly against Christians. Christian Freedom said that more than 300 people are murdered monthly throughout the world because of their Christian faith. According to Lifeway Facts and Trends, a quarter of a billion Christians faced major persecution in 2018. During reporting for the 2018 watch list, 3,066 Christians were killed. 1,252 were abducted. 1,020 were raped or sexually harassed. And 793 churches were attacked. 2018. Where are we headed? We are living in perilous days as a church. The ten worst nations for Christians are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, and Iran. Those are the top ten. You see, we live in America. We have so many freedoms right now. And so often we're, we're just kind of separated from all that's going on in the church. Remember when this Word of God is written, it's written to the church at large over the whole world. And many, many Christians are suffering perilous times in these days. Paul writing 2,000 years ago to Timothy was warning that the chaos in the world the wickedness, the hypocrisy, and the deception that it's going to grow worse and worse as you see the day approaching. So how bad has it gotten? 2,000 years have passed. So here's the bottom line. Things are not going to get better. Not a very popular message today in a lot of churches. Things are not going to get better. It it kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? To say that. You know, things aren't going to get better. It's going to get worse and worse. Uh, There's a lot of people, they're not going to preach that from the pulpit. 
That's not going to really uh, go over very well with a lot of churches. We're living in days that we need to be aware. It's what he's telling Timothy here. That you need to be aware, Timothy. The last days, as I've already shared, really spans a course of 2,000 years. You see, sometimes when we think of last days, we think, well, these are just the the final days before the Lord comes back. We're talking about a 2,000 year. We might call it the church age. We might call it from the day of Pentecost to that day when Peter stood up on that day, preached that message, and all those people thought that they were all drunk because they heard him speaking in tongues, and people came, 3,000 plus people gave their life to Christ. And then Peter tells them what was taking place, what was happening. He says the prophet Joel spoke of this day that God was going to pour out His Spirit in these last days. Those last days really started 2,000 years ago at the birth of the church. Those are the days they were living in and we are living in days that have even grown worse and worse. How many of you regularly watch the news? It's hard to watch, isn't it? I mean, just turn it on. I mean, it's, it's getting harder and harder to watch. Has there ever been a time that you've turned on the news? Unless you're probably 100 years old in here, you probably never have turned on the news where you've heard some good news. The whole thing was just about good news going on in our world. You don't get that. It doesn't make news. You know, no murders today, no shootings, you know, no politicians stand. You know, I mean, look at, look at what we hear and what's going on in our world. No wars on the horizon. I mean, we're living in perilous days. Paul is not bringing that kind of good news here in chapter 3. He's warning us that perilous times are coming. Difficult days are coming even for you. Even for me. A Christian who knows his or her Bible should never be one who says, what is going on in this world? What's going on? I mean, I can't make, why, why are people... If you know your Bible and you know what it says, you shouldn't be asking that question. It's telling us right here. What's going on? What's going to come to pass? Paul already exhorted Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. He says, Timothy, wage the good warfare... He says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Are we in that time? In chapter 6, verse 12, he told Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith, Timothy. It's a good fight. It's a hard fight. But fight the good fight, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul exhorted Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, be disciplined like an athlete, Timothy. Timothy, minister like a hardworking farmer. You see, if you're engaged as a Christian... If you're engaged in the, in the work of evangelism, in the work of being a witness and being salt and light... If you're engaged as a Christian, then you're going to see firsthand the spiritual battle that is out there in front of you. If you retreat and you run into the church each week and that's the extent of your Christian, you'll never experience it. You'll never see it. We should be living as if these were our last days on earth. Our last day on earth. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We should be aware 
God, give us wisdom to see what's going on. How can I have an impact and make an effect on people around me? Time is short. And then Paul goes from verse 1 to verse 2, and he, he, he gives us a list of 19 characteristics that we've already read of mankind. It's an ugly list, isn't it? it it's... It's the characteristics of mankind in these last days. But before we read the list, let's answer the question, who is this list for? Is this list speaking about professing Christians? Is this list speaking about those that are born again, but maybe they're, they're out of fellowship, you know, they're backslidden? Is this list speaking about unbelievers, an unbelieving world, and the people in there apart from the church? Or is it speaking about all of above? I'm going to say that I believe it's speaking of all of the above. That it includes those that don't know Christ and those who do. That perilous times are coming for the church. Are these people professing Christians who are in the church? That's the alarming part. Are, we, are these characteristics of people that are in the church today? They're professing Christians. That's pretty alarming, isn't it? Is, is that what Paul is speaking of? That it's going to grow worse and worse You see, as we read those 19 things, we would expect that it's speaking about non-believers there. Surely, those things couldn't be a Christian. Surely, that's that's not a Christian. You see, outward profession of faith with no inward change is a dangerous place to be. We might say there are some that their behavior does not line up with their profession. Paul warned of this in Titus 1.16. He says, They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. That's a strong warning. There are those that profess that they know God. Lord, Lord. And and I never knew you, Jesus says. Let's read now verses 2 to 5. Paul's descriptive characteristics of people in the last days. He says, for men will be lovers of themselves. Now I want you to do something here. If you have something to write with, I want you to underline those three words, lovers of themselves. I want you to put it in quotes. I want you to circle it, and I want you to highlight it. Because that is the crux of what we're going to get into as we follow through with the 18 other things that follow. The problem is, is that men and women, they are lovers of themselves. To be a lover of yourself leads to being a lover of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemy, and the list goes on. You see, it all stems from that. Self, selfishness that's in the heart of man. For men will be lovers of themselves. It means that they have a great affection for themselves. It literally means loving oneself. For many people, I think, their best friend is their self. You know, Jesus kind of alluded to that, didn't he? When, you know, we're to to love our neighbor as ourself. You know what I mean? Because we typically love this thing more than anything. It's, It's kind of the makeup of this flesh of ours. 
But when that's left to not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, and people begin to go, whether that's a non-believer or a Christian, becoming a lover of self, that's not characteristic of a Christian, is it? Philip's translation reads this, utterly self-centered. That's what Paul's warning about here. That he wants us to be aware of. It's a, it's a characteristic that's completely opposite of our Lord. In Matthew 20, verse 28, we're told that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That's our Lord. He didn't even come to be served. He came to serve you and I. It's from this love of self that these 18 other things will follow. Here's another danger. The local church can also be self-centered in itself. I just recently read a quote by Oswald Chambers that said, the church ceases to be spiritual when it becomes self-seeking. Only interested in the development of its own organization. We see a lot of that today. We see a lot of churches just self-consumed with their organization. Building the number. You know, there's so much to it today. It, it should actually sicken our hearts to see. When a person's religious or their religion begins to shift from God to self, other sins are going to follow. That's why this is at the crux, being a, a lover of yourself. Because when it, when it goes that direction, when you're shifting from God to self, then all of these other things, they just they follow right behind it. It leads to the other sins that we read. Paul says, lovers of self in these verses. He also says, lovers of money, and then lovers of pleasure. Do you see that? That's the issue here. It's those things that we love. It's why some people won't come to Christ. Because they love their sin, they love these things more than they love God. And it's why some Christians won't turn away from the things that they know are ungodly because they actually love those things more than they can honestly say, I love God. That's a dangerous place to be. It's why Paul is saying perilous times are coming for the church. Lovers of money is greediness. It's, it means loving money or being covetous. It, it describes a person who is obsessed with money. He's fond of money. He's a, he's a person that is greedy and he's seeking to hoard riches. All the way through Scripture, we see that. The cautions about money, don't we? This shouldn't be something like, well, we're not talking about Christians here, are we? We are. We're talking about Christians. This form of covetousness naturally flows out of a selfish heart. One that loves self. You see, money is the root of all kinds of evil. This trait, this, this love, this self-love, this self-gratification leads to that. It leads to coveting other people's things. Wanting what others have that I don't have. Trying to get ahead. Trying to, and my whole life is centered around just getting ahead and making more. If there's any one danger for the Christian church in America, it must be that. What we have, what we possess compared to the rest of the world, it must be that. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He's speaking of Christians. Prosperity seekers today. Those who cherish money. Those who stand behind a pulpit and tell people, you know what, God's interested in you being wealthy. God's interested in your material wealth. We see so much of that in the church today. In Luke 16, 14, we read, now the Pharisees, Jesus says, who were lovers of money, it says, also heard all these things and they derated Jesus. They were lovers of money, it said of them. These were the religious people of the day. Prosperity preachers. They usually have no trouble with attracting a large following. And the reason why they don't is because it appeals to the flesh. I mean, who doesn't want to have wealth? Who doesn't want to be well off, doing well? If, if, if our loving God would give me, why wouldn't I want to go to a church like that? A friend of mine once, and I had to have a conversation with him about it. He had a poster on his wall of a Benny Hinn. I don't know what you even want to call it. A Benny Hinn gathering in the country of Nigeria. And the poster boasted that one million people gathered. That's what the poster was. A picture of a million people gathered around Benny Hinn to talk about prosperity, health, and wealth. He took the poster down. There are a lot of Christians that fall trap to these kinds of things. As a church, we have to know our Word. We have to know the Word of God. It'll keep us from these things. It also leads to boasting Boasters, look at your Bible. Philip's translation reads this way that they are full of big words, boastful in words, in action and thought, which also leads to them being proud. In the last days, there's going to be boasters who are proud. James 4 6 speaks the opposite of that. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the heart of God. In 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It leads to this love of self. It leads to blasphemers or revilers. It means speech that's abusive. Speech that's insulting or slanderous. It's blasphemous words, abusive words, defaming, demeaning words. That's a work of the flesh. Is that in the church? Is that coming out of people in the church? How about when they're not here, but they leave the church and go the other six days of the week? What comes out of them? What is the church really looking like in the world today? Look what else. Disobedient to parents. It just seems odd. You know, why disobedient to parents? It literally means one who continually refuses to be persuaded and therefore continually refuses to obey. What are we doing with our children? What's, what's happening with the youth today? What has already happened with a generation and multiple generations leading to these perilous times? You would think, why would this be in the list? Well, Satan himself he wants to get our children young, doesn't he? Get them young. You know, get them at a young age. You see, if you can get them young, it'll affect them when they're older. 
It'll affect how they respond to adults. If they can't be obedient to mom and dad, they could care less about the other person. That's what we're living in today. No authority, lack of obedience, disobedient to parents. Satan's motto is get them when they're young. And we have a responsibility as Christians that we would do these things and instill these things within our children. My children, I have three daughters, learned a verse when they were very young. I think all three of them could probably quote it to you. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. I'll have Heather come up and quote it. It's a good thing to instill those things in our children. That they would be pleasing to God when they obey mommy and daddy. It's so sweet when they're little, isn't it? It's after they get bigger that we start going, wow, now we got a problem. Disobedient to parents. We're in perilous times, church. Ephesians 6.1 Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. There you go, young people. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. It goes on to give another one, unthankful. It describes men who are utterly destitute of any gratitude towards God or towards other people. Do you know that that's a characteristic of an unbeliever according to Romans chapter 1? It says, as it goes through that whole list of all those ugly sins, and then it says this, and neither were they thankful. Thankful to who? They're not thankful to God or to anything else. It's That's the flesh. Unholy which pertains to that which is opposite of God. God is holy. God is seated in heaven, holy and high and lifted up. And anything opposite of that is unholiness. It means ungodly, without regard to duty toward God or toward mankind. In other words, this kind of a man not only breaks the law of God and society, but even breaks the unwritten law of God. It tells us in the book of Romans, it says they are not subject to the things of God, neither indeed can be. They could care less what the Word of God says. The dangerous part is, are there some professing Christians that could care less what the Word of God says? Unholy. The church today, living like the world. The church today, struggling with the issue of homosexuality within the church. Same-sex marriage within the church. You see, these are topics that some people don't even want to hear me say from the pulpit now. Right? They don't even want to hear me say that. That's a hate. Those are hate words. That's the days we're living in. Abortion. These are all things that people within the church are wrestling with. It's becoming a political debate within the church. That's the dangerous part. You see, the Bible today still matters. It's not some archaic book. You know, the, you know, the church used to get into that. We do things different these days. You know, it, it, we need the Word of God. It's what keeps us on course. It keeps us cutting that straight course. It goes on to give another one unloving or it could also be translated people without natural affection. Literally is 
without family affection, without love for kindred, and is frequently used of a, of a parent-child relationship. How about a child raising up against their own parent that we read about in Scripture? What is it about? This flesh is ugly. It's ugly in the heart of a child. It's ugly in adults. Left to ourselves, we would destroy ourselves. Unloving. People without natural affection. It's opposite of that love that we're to have as Christians. It's not characteristic of a Christian to be unloving. How about unforgiving? Another one in our list. It means irreconcilable, without a truce. It's a picture of being absolutely irreconcilable with another person. In other words, you're at war with them. Unforgiving. You refuse to have a truce. That's not characteristic of a believer, is it? How, how, if we've been forgiven by God, why can't we forgive others? How, why is it that inside it, your flesh doesn't want to? How about slanders? Or malicious gossip? Oh, this is a big one. Which literally means to throw between. Thus the intent and the effect of malicious gossip is to falsely accuse... And then it's to divide people without any reason at all. To be a slander. To be a malicious gossip. This is a big one. All you have to do is turn on the TV. (laughs) Watch the news how people are being slandered today. Uh, You know, how how they're gossiping about it. The whole thing is all about gossip and slander. They just want to, they'll say something just to completely annihilate the person. I mean, that's what's going on in our world today. And God help us that it's not going on in the church. How about without self control? Or literally without strength to resist the solicitations of your own passion? It's people walking worldly within the church. It's people saying, you know what, I I can't get victory over that. I've just given in to that. I just do this, I do that, I give in, you know, and and without any self-control. And without self-control, what is it? There's just worldliness. It's just living for flesh. It's living for our own appetite. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. Eyes that are full of adultery, that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. People that are brutal. This is an ugly list, isn't it? We get done here, we're going to be going, wow, please, let me out of here. Brutal. It means literally... Not mild, not tame, savage, merciless. The very opposite of gentle. These men have a character and a conduct of a brute beast. They are ruthless. They have no feeling in what they do. They're without feeling is really what it's saying. And we're seeing that more and more. It doesn't bother people. Just to, just to lash out at somebody. Just to do what... And it, it doesn't even bother them. No feeling. Despisers of good. Or haters of that which is good or spiritually beneficial to others. It, you see it heating up? Everything that the Christian has to say out in the world today, you're a hater. You're trying to bring something on. You're trying to create, you know, I mean, everything that stands for good and right, you're going to be attacked for. Despisers of good. Haters 
of those things that are good or spiritual or beneficial to others. Traitors are men who betray another's trust. It's another one in the list. They betray trust and confidence. It's a person like, we might say, Judas Iscariot, who walked with the Lord for those three years. Betrayed. And people do that. There's no loyalty. They're traitors, really. Headstrong. People who are reckless. Literally falling forward headlong is what the word means. They're reckless. They're haughty, which means that they're conceited. They're literally, they're, they're, it literally means to wrap in smoke or mist and so to be cloud. Figuratively, it's speaking of being puffed up or conceited as a person, a haughty person. Lovers, here's that word lovers again. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow, what a, what a contrast. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They, they're actually delight. They, they, they enjoy. It's people that their, their whole existence is based upon their happiness and the pleasure. And it, and it, and it leaves God out. And, there, and there's a lot of people even within, quote, the church that are lovers of pleasure more than they are lovers of God. You see, if you're a lover of God, if you're full on in love with the Lord, there's a lot of things that you're going to hate that you didn't hate before. I hate these things now. I never hated them before, but I'm falling more in love with the Lord. And in doing so, it's causing me to see those things in my life that are displeasing to God. rather than lovers of God. People that are in love with themselves. That are self-centered. They're, they're going to take care of this. They're not concerned with that love. Yeah, they might use the terminology, oh, I love God. But their actions don't follow it. Look what it goes on to say. It says, having a, a form of godliness. Oh. Having a form of godliness, which refers to an outward shape or appearance. You know, it's, it's like a silhouette that you see. You've seen a silhouette. It's, it's like having this outward shape or this appearance like a silhouette. But... It's not really what it is. They have just this form of godliness. It's like the unbelieving scribes and the Pharisees. They have this appearance before the people. Oh, they're a God, man. They're a crew, man. They're in that church every week. I see them. I see them pull into the parking lot every week. They're there every week. They have this appearance of it, man. They, they do things just like everybody other Christian does. But man, you get them out of that church building. Get them into the workforce. And my mother, really? You're not the same person. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. To deny it means to refuse. To have anything to do with godliness. Paul chooses a strong word here, which implies that they, they know and that they decisively reject the truth. They know, but they don't follow it. And then look at the warning that Paul gives in light of this whole list of these things. Verse 5, from such people turn away. Wow. I thought we're supposed to go after all these people. I, suppose, I thought we're supposed to go out and witness to them and be, you know, um, and be, well, we are. We're supposed to go out to the ungodly and those that are caught up into their sin, no matter how 
ungodly they are. We want to be a witness to them. But what kind of people would we maybe want to turn away from? How about those that say they're Christians? Oh, we're Christians. Oh, yeah, well, don't judge me. You know, yeah, I know, I I know I'm doing, but you're judging me. Making excuses for, from such people turn away. Which means to shun, to avoid, to turn oneself away from another person. Really, it's a command that we see here in verse 5 by Paul. It means to purposely turn away. It means to deliberately or habitually avoid that kind of a person. Those that would have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. How about all the cults? How about all the the religious groups that are out there all in the name of God? I just recently had a conversation with someone that has a family member. It's a Jehovah's Witness. We have to love them. We want to come alongside them. These are people we love. We want them to come to know the truth. It's not like we just shun them and turn away. We want them to know. But what he's talking about are those joining hands, joining homes, joining things with, with, oh yeah, let's just have a Bible study with the Jehovah's Witnesses today. Let's have a, you know, no, we're, we're instructed in the Word of God not to even invite them into your house. Why? Because if we're not prepared in heart to really sit and have that kind, and if we don't know that it, there's a deception that can come, a confusion that can come. Paul in verses 6 to 7, he says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are within the cults, do you know that the number one place that they typically get a place for coming in and doing a Bible study in your home? The Jehovah's Witnesses love it. To find some woman that's at home, doesn't have a husband, doesn't have a covering, go in there, hey, can we have a Bible study with you? Sure, yeah. Come on in. Have a Bible study. Let me teach you what our Bible says. We have to be careful. Paul, John, they warned of this. People... Really what it's talking about is people who are never settled down in the truth. These are people that have not become grounded in the truths of God's Word. How about if somebody is grounded? Well, you can, the Lord can use you in a big way. How about those that are not grounded? They're not settled down in the truth. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They don't have a good foundation. They're, they're easy prey for the enemy to come in. Well, they sounded like, they sound like us. They use the same words that we use. They're no different than us. No, they are. It's a different group. It's a different gospel. It's a different Jesus. He says in verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. They're men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. Janus and Jambres are not even names that are actually listed in Scripture. Uh, It could be that uh, the names of these came down to Paul through history could be by the Holy Spirit, but Janus and Jambres is believed to be those two magicians that stood there with Moses before the Pharaoh and how they resisted what Moses was doing before the Pharaoh. They were bringing in their magic, trying to mimic, trying to do. They were resisting. That's the type of mindset that these people will come in that will creep into these households, bringing in false doctrine, bringing in false truths, like Janus and Jambres. Those individuals will eventually be revealed of what sort they are. It comes out. 
It comes out in them. If somebody comes to know Christ, I know of people that were involved in a cult and they came out of it and they go, man, how I can see clearly. How can they see clearly now? Because God showed me the truth. Now I know the truth. I remember witnessing to this Mormon guy one time. He was so mad at himself. He was a father with kids. And he says, for 10 years I walked as a Mormon. And you know what? And I came to know the truth and I see the falseness of that now. And he goes, and I just, I'm, I'm mad at myself that I did that to my family for 10 years. When God comes in and reveals, he brings it to light. One commentator wrote it and put it this way, their daily behavior will give them away. You know, how, how, how can a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, or any other kind of cult really go out there and live like a Christian? They don't have the capability of doing it. We, uh, we need to close, but I want to just give you a comparison to what we just read. Isn't that an ugly list? And that, you know, I mean, but God help us that we as a church, as an individual Christian, wouldn't find myself falling trap to being a lover of myself. To, you know, that I wouldn't be that. Paul says, remember what Paul said in Galatians when he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit? He, he gave an ugly list there too. Remember, he talked about the works of the flesh, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, bursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. He goes through this whole list of all these ugly things of the flesh. And then he says, and this is what should come out of us as Christians. Because we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. His Holy Spirit was poured into your heart the day you gave your life to Him. And He says, the things that should come out of us, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the first one on the list of the fruit of the Spirit is? Anyone? First one, love. What's the first one on the list here in Timothy? You know, uh, it's lovers of self. Here in Galatians, it's the first one is love. And then out of that word love comes all of this other fruit that comes forth from it. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what comes out of the fruit of the Spirit. That should be the evidence to the world that we truly are a child of God. And that's what will draw people to Him. They don't want to see this kind of Christian that we have listed here in 2 Timothy 3. They don't want to see that. Nobody gets won to Christ through that. It's just a selfish church, a selfish Christian. If you're here this morning and you feel right in your heart before the Lord and you feel like you're seeking the good things of God in your life, everything that I said to you today as a warning, it didn't really rile you up. It didn't really concern you that much because you know what? Hey, I'm, on, I'm imperfect. I'm not perfect. But you know what? I'm seeking after the Lord. I'm falling. You know, but if you're here and you're seeing some of these characteristics in you, you know, God, wake up call. God, speak to me. Let your Holy Spirit speak to my heart. It's going to get better. Next week, if the Lord hasn't returned, we'll be back into 2 Timothy here. And we're going to learn, really, going forward, how can we guard ourselves from this? How can we guard ourselves from what we just read? That's how we're going to finish up chapter 3 next week. How to guard yourself. You can read ahead, by the way. How do we guard ourselves from falling to this type of a church, this type of a Christian, that I wouldn't that I would heed the warning of Paul.
And so let's have the worship team come up. And uh, if you're here and you're in need of prayer today, please uh, come up and see. I'll be at the back, uh, Kathy and myself. Please come. We can pray together. Uh, that's what we're here for. Minister to one another. Encourage one another. Father, I lift up your church. Lord, I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us here today. Lord, that even as we went through the first half of this chapter, Lord, and, and read of all these ungodly things, Lord, that we might even look back upon them, that we might soul search, Lord, that we might, uh, Lord, not in condemnation, but Lord, Lord, in the spirit of just wanting you to change us, Lord, wanting you to, to go further in our, in our walks with you, Lord, that we would allow you, Lord, to reveal those areas of our life. Lord, I pray that Calvary Chapel Fellowship would be a church made up of true believers that love you, that are, that are, that are living examples of a changed life in you. And Lord, we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.